Hello, everyone. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Wendy Hunter. Dr. Hunter was educated at Cornell University, UNC Chapel Hill School of Medicine, and attended UC San Diego for pediatrics residency. She spent 10 years experiencing the fun and drama in the pediatric emergency department at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. Now, as a primary care pediatrician, she helps parents understand why their kids do the weird things they do and how to raise kids as cool as her own. Some interesting facts about Dr. Hunter are that she takes drum lessons, super cool, recently started her podcast called The Pediatrician Next Door, and started flying airplanes again after a 13-year break and getting current again as an instrument-rated pilot. In today's episode, we will discuss if children really need to be taking a multivitamin, what is the evidence behind elderberry and other supplements, melatonin dosing, how to teach kids about eating a wide array of foods, and so much more. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, everyone. Today, we have Dr. Wendy Hunter here on the podcast. Thank you and welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. So we are going to talk about quite a few different things today, and that is going to include talking about whether or not kids need to have vitamins or maybe different supplements that might help them either sleep or maybe immune support. And then we are also going to focus in on eating. This can be such a stressful situation for parents, I mean, myself included, where I feel like either, you know, one of my four kids, two of my four kids just won't eat, you know, this big array of foods. And then you think to yourself, did I do something when they were younger and I didn't offer them enough? And that's why they don't like vegetables or what have you. And so I'd love to go into some more detailed questions on maybe how we can sneak veggies in. How important is it if my three-year-old is only eating mac and cheese at every dinner or every meal? And we'll kind of go into the details about, about eating and then really focus in on starting to notice maybe some body image issues that might be coming up maybe as your kids are getting older. So the first thing I want to talk about is do kids really need to have this multivitamin every day and or any type of supplementation? So I want to start off with, I don't know if you grew up the same as I did, but Flintstone vitamins were like all the craze <laughs> when I was yeah, young. Same, same. And my mom would always give me my Flintstone vitamins every day. And I think to myself, like, I don't know, did we really need those? I don't know. I did give my kids multivitamins when they were really like when my first was born, I was like, oh, multivitamin, multivitamin. And then I was like, I don't know. So tell us, tell us, what do we need? There's so much to this question. I could go on and on about it, but it's it's a question on every parent's mind. You're right. So multivitamins, the answer really is there are only a few vitamins that you actually need. And I will talk about those. And in a multivitamin, there's a little bit of danger that you actually could overdose on some of the components of it, but mostly they're just not necessary. The American, the typical American diet, even if it's garbage, like a kid's diet of like goldfish crackers and mac and cheese still is going to give you a lot of the micronutrients that you need. Okay. So which ones do you need? You have to get vitamin D somehow in your diet and you mostly get that through milk. So there's no natural vitamin D in any food. We get it as our skin makes it from the sun. So that's why milk is supplemented with vitamin D. So if you drink 16 to 24 ounces of milk a day, you're going to get enough vitamin D. And that usually includes the plant milks. They're usually fortified as well. 
And if you're not getting that amount of milk, you need to supplement your child with vitamin D. So that's one you have to get. And then the other thing I usually recommend is omega fatty acids. So if you eat like a credit card size amount of fish once a week, you're probably going to get enough omega fatty acids. Otherwise, you should supplement for that. But the rest of the stuff in a multivitamin, totally unnecessary. I see. I knew it. (laughs) You knew it. Yes. I agree. Well, it's just one of those like, it's like this wellness marketing thing where it's like, oh, you know, get your multivitamin even as an adult. And I mean, when you're growing a baby and you're postpartum, it's kind of a different story. Absolutely. But, you need you know, your for multivitamin. For like the typical you. adult, you know, your diet, as long as you're focusing in, really focusing in on what you're taking in, you can get everything you need for food from food. And it's better that way. It's easier for your body to digest and break down and all of those things rather than taking it into like a supplement form anyway, you know? Right. And this is important to understand too, is that when you talk about a vitamin, there are multiple different forms of that vitamin in food. And when you take it in a pill vitamin, there's only one form of that vitamin. So they're called vitamers. There's different isomers or forms of each vitamin and your body needs all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, I want to talk about two supplements, two different supplements. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one is going to be elderberry. I feel like we heard an explosion of elderberry during COVID. Can you tell us the research that is behind or not behind elderberry? Yeah. So everybody was looking for this immune booster during COVID. And we really can't think of it that way. We want to think about it as taking a supplement that will prevent you from getting sick because it really isn't like immune boosting. Unfortunately, there is really no good data to support elderberry use, but there are some other ones that do work to help prevent illness. So for example, vitamin C, we know that vitamin C isn't necessarily going to prevent you from getting sick, but in people who take vitamin C pretty regularly, when they are sick, they're sick for about a day and a half less than other people who don't get enough vitamin C. So would you say if, okay, so say my kid gets sick or... No, actually, different scenario. Say one of my kids gets sick and the other three are not sick yet. Do you suggest boosting with vitamin C like either dietarily or do you would you say like give them a supplement of vitamin C through that period of like prevention slash they might get sick, but at least it will decrease the symptoms? I think that it is totally safe. If you take way too much vitamin C, you're just going to pee it out. So it's fine. And it does potentially have some benefit in terms of preventing or protecting against illness. The one I like even better is xylitol. So xylitol spray, which is sugar, you can buy that over the counter. You spray it in your nose and actually it's in gum as well. So if you look for xylitol in sugar-free gum, that actually prevents viruses from adhering or sticking to the wet surfaces of your body. So if you spray it in your nose, you know, viruses get in through your nose and it will prevent the virus from getting in. So that's another good strategy. So it's funny you brought that up. I just talked about this with a guest I just had on who was talking about ear infections in kids and preventive measures. And we mentioned xylitol during that. And I feel like that's also a great thing to use right before you go on a trip, like on a flight. I feel like that would be such a great thing to do. I would love for you to touch on 
supplementing with melatonin. I mean, we have done it here and there just when we travel. Mm -hmm. So when we've gone to like a different time zone, when we were in Europe, or if maybe the kids have been like wired for a couple of days, whatever, we use it very sparingly. However, I have heard that as far as dosing within the melatonin gummies specifically, it can be really hard to know exactly how much is really in those. So if you're giving one milligram, it actually might be much more than that or much less than that. It's kind of hard to figure out and gauge. Have you heard that same thing? And what do you suggest as far as like, should we just be staying away from those or what do you think? You're absolutely right. And it's interesting because I think for parents, and I know you're not just a parent, you're also a medical professional, but for parents, they hear things in the news and there's so much more background behind it. So you're like the tip of the iceberg, which is yes, melatonin can have a variable dosing on it. And here's the backstory. Most recently, there was a huge study. They looked at something like 64 forms of melatonin that were available over the counter. And they found that some of the the tablets had up to 400 times more melatonin in it than was on the, or 400% more, I'm sorry, so four times more. Versus they even had some that had like a quarter of the amount in it and they found other things. So like some of them had valerian root in them, which is something you don't want to give your child unknowingly, but it was in the pills. So here's how you get around that. You need to look for forms of melatonin that are third-party tested. So there are a couple of different companies that the pill manufacturer can submit their medication to, their supplement to, and it will get verified that it contains what the bottle says it contains. So that's what you need to look for when you're shopping. Find something that says it's third-party tested. And yes, we want to give one to two milligrams in general of melatonin to little kids. We want to make sure they're actually getting one to two milligrams, not eight milligrams. That could be in a bottle that says it only has one or two. Yeah, because I mean, it really is such a useful tool for like those certain instances when you're traveling and like you're switching a time zone or your kids are just so overtired. And when you're overtired, it's hard. It's hard to relax and calm down and go to sleep. And it's such a useful tool. Yeah. We also find it works great in like kids with ADHD. Sometimes they really need the melatonin because they don't release melatonin naturally at the right time at bedtime. And so yes, you can manipulate your, your kid's brain in a really healthy way by using the supplement. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Are there any other supplements or vitamins that you wanted to touch base on that maybe you've commonly seen in practice that parents might use and don't need to use or anything like that? Yeah, I just had a couple of thoughts. One is that vitamin D, which I mentioned earlier, actually is helpful to the immune system too. And that's something we discovered during the pandemic. And the other one people talk a lot about is zinc. There's a little bit of data. It's kind of 50-50 that about that zinc can be helpful in terms of preventing illness or making you not as sick. And so zinc is a pretty safe one to use when you're getting sick as well. So those zinc lozenges. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about kids and eating and how worried we need to be about this situation. So I have two kids that are like, oh, we'll eat pretty much anything. And then I have two kids that are, we won't eat 
anything. It's so funny. And you're the same parent. So it's not like that much changed. Right. Right. I just, and I feel like, yeah, I always say to myself over and over again, like, what did I do with the first that makes her want to try all these things? Like, I don't know. I didn't do anything differently. Right. So how concerned do I need to be as a parent if my child will only eat like the same foods over and over again. Like they don't want to venture out. They don't really want to try any vegetables. Like, do I just keep giving it to them? Like, what should my strategy be? I think it actually can be helpful to write down how many foods your child will actually eat. And French fries and mashed potatoes are different foods when you make this list because they have different textures and are different forms. And if your child is taking like 50, maybe even 40 different foods, I think you can be pretty reassured that you don't need to make this a battle The kids who are eating literally only 20 different foods, they need to see an occupational therapist and really work on their choice of foods and being able to handle different textures because that's not okay. But there are, I mean, kids are going to be naturally picky. And I have a whole entire podcast episode on this myself, actually. In fact, I think I have two episodes because it's such a complex topic. But we really need to stop battling our kids over food. We need to set healthy foods in front of them and just let them try them. And we need to eat those foods in front of them so they see what we're eating. Because humans need to see other people eat food in order to like overcome this like primitive brain thing we have where we think everything's poison. Just at our baseline natural state, humans need to see other people eat food for them to accept it as a food. And then the next step is they just have to taste it. And they literally could like lick it and then put it away. And the number of times that you your child is exposed to a food is going to increase their ability to accept it as a food that they like to eat. And some kids need to try a food 15, 16 times before they're like, okay, I'll eat that. But they literally can lick it, smell it, or touch it. And that counts as an exposure. Okay. I was going to say, because how... How detailed do we need to go here? Because one of our kids is like just an absolute no to like everything. And I still always put it on his plate. But to be honest with you, it's more of a chore for me because then I have to just like wash it and put it back away because I don't want to waste food either. Right. So then I wash it and I put it away for the next day to put on his plate at the same time again the next day. It's like, are these the same peppers you put on my plate yesterday? I'm like, yes. Yeah. yeah. And only put one or two pieces on there, right? Because you don't want it to seem threatening. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, and the other strategy is always put something on the table that you know your child will eat. So it's not scary. Like imagine that you go to another country, like you're in China, right? And they set down this whole buffet and nothing looks familiar to you. They don't even have rice. Like you're going to be freaked out. And that's sometimes how your toddler feels. Like this is all new food I've never seen before. Are you sure it's food? Can I really eat it? So yeah, put something on there that they recognize and like, and then add in that scary red pepper, but only put like two pieces. And yeah, you can put the same one every night. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I've we started a while ago. I mentioned this in one of the podcasts, but we started putting just a plate of vegetables in the middle. Like mm-hmm. I don't know, it could be like cucumbers, celery, peppers, just like cold vegetables in the middle. And I'm like, okay, well, if you don't want to eat anything that's on your plate, there's a plate of veggies in the middle that you guys can fight over. Like you guys can have whatever you want off that plate. Brilliant. Yeah. And I kid you not, like I think it actually helped a lot because now they're like, okay, well, I don't want to eat this, but I'll eat the veggies. And I'm like, you will like, Mm -hmm. you you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, (laughs) just putting it out there. Yeah. And like, you know, a little ranch goes a long way. Oh, Um, dips are the best. You got to get into mm -hmm. dips and you got to make stuff look fun, like cut them in different shapes or arrange your veggies. So they look funny. They're much more, they, they taste better when they look funny. 
so true though. Kids love that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So when we talk about vegetables, I know a, a lot of parents will kind of fixate on vegetables. Like, oh, you know, my kid will eat fruits. They'll eat carbs. They'll eat dairy, but they won't touch vegetables. Like how worried do we actually need to be about that? Should we be sneaking them in somehow? I know one of the parents had actually asked a question saying like, should I be giving my kids greens, like a green juice to like in, right. at least give them some sort of veggie? Yeah, I, I hate do doing that because then they don't recognize the food. Like I want them to see what the food actually looks like. I don't want to like trick them. And the other things, I don't really like all those pouches because if you read the ingredients, it's like all this yummy stuff like apples and sweet things. And then like there's like a half a teaspoon of greens in it. So you have to be careful about that kind of thing and smoothies. They need to eat vegetables. They need to eat a variety. It doesn't have to be a huge variety though. You really don't need to worry about your kids getting their nutrition. They're going to get it. There is not a child in the United States that has a vitamin deficiency if they just eat even just a garbage diet because our foods are so fortified. But they do need to learn how to try new textures and try new things and not be scared to try new things. So that's kind of what I would focus on more than the content of the food. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you're so right about those pat those pouches. Mm-hmm. So I I talked in depth with the founder of Cerebelli, mm. <laughs> which is like they have if you look at the back of theirs, they kind of discuss this. <laughs> You have to look at the ingredient list and what is at the forefront, right? Because that's going to be what Mm -hmm. the majority of the pouch is made from. And if you look at theirs, most of it is going to be like they even put meats into theirs and stuff now. Um, But it's vegetables first, and then you'll see apple and pear. Exactly. You got to read that label. Everything's not equivalent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, so many of them, you're right. I mean, it's like, you know, fruit, 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 fruit. And then like, you know, I don't know, maybe a CC of like (laughs) carrots at the end. I'm like, what is the point of this? Yeah, so funny. Okay, so does the way that we talk in front of our kids about food really matter? Oh my gosh, so much. And we don't even realize it. If you start paying attention to what you're saying about food, The one thing I find is really interesting that we do miss in catching ourselves is that we assign emotion to food sometimes. You know, like we just, like we'll call a food bad and that's probably not the best idea. Like we don't want to make kids feel guilty because they ate a brownie. You know, like there's a time and a place for ice cream and brownies and we don't want to make you feel guilty about it. So you need to kind of more talk about like, there's not as much good nutrition in this, but I enjoy it versus other foods. And then I know as parents, we're like, we offhandedly will say like, oh, I feel so fat or I feel so full. And you really have to watch yourself on that because you will see your kids mimic exactly what you say. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This podcast episode is brought to you by Earth Breeze. Now is the time to do away with those big and bulky laundry detergent jugs. They're heavy, inconvenient, and 91% of them end up in landfills and oceans, which can harm our planet and our oceans. One of the best things we did recently was to switch over to EarthBreeze laundry detergent sheets, and I'm excited to say that they work great even on tough stains. When you have four kids, those clothes get dirty fast, and we need a laundry detergent that really cleans. They arrive at your doorstep in a small box that looks like a box of dryer sheets. The packaging is lightweight and biodegradable, And to give you an idea of how much space you will save in your laundry room, you can fit 720 loads of sheets where you used to fit just one 60-load detergent jug. 
Each sheet is a liquidless laundry detergent that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle. Just toss that sheet in with your laundry and you're good to go. No mess with the liquid detergent. My favorite part is that it makes it so much easier for our kids to do their own laundry. They can throw their laundry in with a sheet and voila, they're done. I just restocked our laundry sheets and purchased both the scented and the unscented. The unscented sheets are great for my daughter's sensitive skin. These sheets are hypoallergenic and dermatologist tested, so you don't need to worry about it affecting anyone's skin when you switch over. Earth Breeze is compatible with high-efficiency washers, gray water systems, and septic safe for those of you with a septic system like us. You can set up a flexible subscription that is easily adjustable and can be paused or canceled at any time. I love that we no longer have to buy those large plastic jugs that take up space in our laundry room, and this makes it so much easier for our kids to help us out too. This is just another way to help our environment, which is so incredibly important right now. Try Earth Breeze risk-free. They will give you a full refund if you are not satisfied with the product. No questions asked. Switch from the old-fashioned goo to something new. Right now, my listeners can subscribe to Earth Breeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash Lindsay for 40% off. earthbreeze.com slash Lindsay. This podcast is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is a great place to get some of our grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting it all quickly shipped to our doorstep is a huge time saver for us. And we really enjoy some of the brands they carry like Kodiak, Go Macro, Primal Kitchen, and their own Thrive Market brand. I just placed an order to restock some of our go-to favorites from Thrive. We've recently been loving the Kodiak muffin mix and double chocolate, as well as the blueberry lemon flavor as well. I restocked our Go Macro bars and Kodiak flapjack cups and added the kids eczema soap and lotion as well, because it's been working really well for one of our kids. As a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single order. On average, you save over 30% each time. I saved $27 on my last order. On top of the massive savings on each order, Thrive Market has a deals page that changes daily. It gives you cash back on so many brands and they have a price match guarantee. Thrive Market has over 70 filters on their website and app. You can filter between gluten-free snacks or non-toxic cleaning essentials with the click of a button. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y. As a pediatrician, how would you talk to your children about like treats and or desserts, because I think that can be a little bit tricky, especially like with my kids. They're like, oh, you know, like if we eat our whole dinner, like, can we get a treat? I don't, again, like you had just mentioned, I don't want to put foods into certain categories. We try to just teach them about having a well-rounded plate of food that kind of includes all different types of food groups. And we, you know, talk a lot about that specifically, but I don't... (laughs) It's hard because, you know, in their lunches, I'll put a little treat and there's like a little treat slot, mm-hmm. but like we call it a treat and I'm like, oh, yeah. So that gets back <laughs> to your really idea. Matter? Like, what mm-hmm. do you think? That gets back to your idea of the language that we use. And we have to be really careful about using food as a reward 
So, because we don't want our kids to grow up and be like, oh, I got an A, I'm going to go have a piece of cake. We want them to enjoy food, and I'll come to that, but we want to reward them with our time instead. So, you know, if you say, we had such a great day today, I'm, I'm going to give you a cookie. No. <clears throat> you want to say, you had such a great day today, let's read an extra book together and snuggle at bedtime. The thing that I say in clinic to my own patients, and I say this in front of parents with the kids in the room, is I say, you can have 10 to 20% of your diet can be just junk. And that kind of liberates them to think about like, okay, what am I eating all day? And yeah, you know what? I got all the nutrients I needed today. I ate that salad. I had some fish. I ate my whole lunch. Then, you know, you can have some chips. It's okay. They're junk. They're calories that, you know, don't have any good nutrition in them necessarily, but it's okay. But I, I like to reframe it that way. So yeah, I think you're right about, you know, not necessarily calling it a treat, but I don't know how to reframe it in a different way. Uh. <laughs> I know it's, it's really, really hard, right? Yeah. And, like, and yeah, it's, but, but reward and treat awesome. your kids with your time. You know, like when you want to celebrate an accomplishment, make a point of saying like, you know what, dad's going to take you to the park today and you get special dad time, or I'm going to take you out to tea, or we're going to go to get a pedicure together, even with your three-year-old. It's time with you that's like really precious because when you, they grow up, you want them to be like, oh my God, I had such a great day. I'm going to call a friend. I'm going to reward myself with that because that's really valuable and it's you know socially good for your development. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, let's kind of fast forward to, you know, kids as they're a little bit older. As a parent, how can I be cognizant of things that my child might be doing or how they might be behaving that might lead me to think that they might have like an eating disorder or have some sort of body image issues? And then, sorry to put this second question on there, but and then additionally, do you have any suggestions on, you know, how social media might affect this? And then if so, how you would address it? Yeah, I just saw an entire hour long lecture on exactly this topic. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I have so many things to say about that. What are the red flag signs of an eating disorder? Mm, they're so they're so hidden because kids who are adolescents who have eating disorders, they really are going to try to hide it and they're going to deny it. You're going to just notice that they're losing weight. And if they are, you need to be on high alert. I have a lot of kids that come into my clinic and parents are concerned with their weight loss and they're almost not concerned enough. No one wants this to, to be an issue. There's this fantastic book that I really like for parents to read called I'm, oh my God, I'm like so fat. It's something like that. And it really talks about all those years leading up to adolescence where, you know, we don't want to mention our size or criticize our own kids' bodies. The way I like to talk to kids about their bodies is I'd like to talk to them when they're like 11, 12. So kind of before they really go through puberty, because once those changes happen, they hate their bodies for the most part. And social media obviously does not help. So I like to say it this way. I say, do you like dogs? Because there's not a kid who says, oh, I hate dogs. Most of them are like, eh, or I'm like, oh, I love dogs. So then I say, name a couple of dogs and a couple of species of dogs or whatever kinds of dogs. Sorry. Then I say, name a couple of different types of dogs. And they'll say like chihuahua, bulldog, Labrador. And I say, okay, great, great. 
So those are all dogs, right? And they all look really, really different. They're all the same species, just like humans are all the same species. And some of us are bulldogs and some of us are chihuahuas and some of us are laboratory retrievers and some of us are Great Danes. And if you look around at your friends, think about what kind of dog they are. And that really reframes their body image for them. And they can kind of like come back to that image when they're like comparing themselves to their friends at school, you know, like, oh, I have fat thighs. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I don't have fat thighs. I am a bulldog and I'm good at Mm -hmm. soccer. (laughs) So that's how I like to frame it. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. It does. What are your thoughts on, gosh, and obviously this could be like 15, I always say this, this could be like 20 podcast episodes, but like in your practice specifically, how do you address social media, like with parents, with kids, like do you, do you mention it at all? And if so, like, what are your personal suggestions? Yeah, this is a tough one because there are so many different kinds of digital media right now. So when I was growing up, you know, there was a TV in the living room and we had cable and we had a video game machine and they, they really were very passive devices. You know, you don't want to just sit in front of the TV and watch all day, but now we have interactive games. We can play collaboratively. We can play collaboratively with our friends online in games and they aren't so bad necessarily. So the conversation that I have with parents is first, you need to know what your kids are doing because all digital media is not the same. If your teenager is just watching, you know, YouTube or Instagram or whatever, and not interacting, that's terrible. If you have a teenager who's posting and being creative and engaging with other people, that actually is not so bad. So you need to know what they're doing. And then my big piece of advice here is you just have to keep your kids really, really busy so they don't have a lot of time for digital media. And the other thing you need to do is make your expectations very clear. So for example, you know we want our kids to be helping out around the house. They need to be getting exercise every day. They need to be doing well in school. And they need to be going to bed at a decent hour. And if they're meeting all of those expectations, don't fight with them about their video game use. You know, they're not going to be using it too much. They probably are engaging with their friends. It's a big piece of their social life now, right? Mm-hmm. Especially post-pandemic. Yeah. So don't turn this into a battle. That's my my big message is know what they're doing and then make sure they're doing all the things you expect them to do. Do you have any like age recommendations? specifically. Yeah. So regarding age, you know, under 18 months really should not have any exposure to any kind of online life or videos or television with the exception maybe of looking at photos together on your device or FaceTiming somebody in the family, because it is our job as parents to, you know, teach our kids how to eat well, but also how to use their online lives. And so it has to be kind of a gradual introduction throughout their childhood. So then, yeah, at some point you're going to get your kid a tablet and they're going to have some games, right? So maybe even in the toddler years, when they're really young in those like two, three, four year olds, you need to be interacting with them on the device. So if it's an interactive book, for example, you can't sit your child down and let them look at an interactive book. We have found that it actually has really negative developmental outcomes from that and that you need to be looking at it with them and talking about it. 
And same with games. So to find games for anybody, you want to go to commonsensemedia.org. That is the go-to database. Absolutely. They're so trustworthy and will now help you and will help you navigate what is and is not appropriate for different ages. So you can find great games for your kids on there. It's a really good idea in those kind of elementary school years to have a digital media time. So, you know, be like, call it TV time or whatever you call it, tablet time, game time, but have it be a very specific time. So is it 4.30 to 5? And so if they're nagging you all day, can I have my iPad or whatever? You can say, oh, is it time? Oh, it's not time, but time is coming up. So just build it into your day, you know, that's fine. Then the older kids, it's so hard because you have no idea what they're doing and they can have accounts you don't know about and they're looking at crazy stuff. And the thing about regulating your teen's amount of time is that in 30 minutes, they can get into horrible things on the internet. They can see horrible things. They can post something really inappropriate. So it doesn't really matter if they're on only for a half hour a day or for six hours a day at this point, because their exposure can be anything. They could have six hours of great time with their friends online and doing some research and watching a YouTube video that teaches them something. So regulating their time is, is not the way to go anymore. I know the AAP recommendations were to keep screen time under two hours, but that's kind of out the door now. Like it's really not about the time. It's about the quality. So yeah, age really, really matters, but it is our job as parents to help them move through it and be good digital citizens. And we have to be an example of that, right? You know, absolutely. So you have to ask yourself, am I pulling my phone out at the dinner table? Like, don't do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, totally. And You know, I used to be in the camp of obviously like I'm off social media and I've been off now, I don't know, for a year and a half or so, but it's simply because I, again, yeah, I was using it too much and I was like, I I can't, I would, I kept trying to make all these boundaries and then I would fall back into the same hole like weeks later. And I'm like, this is, this is so silly. That's so interesting because you experienced it personally. And so now you can be an example to your kids of that struggle. So I talk to them. Yeah. And even though they're still young, like I, I mentioned this to them, I was like, you know, I, I used to have those things. And my oldest, who's uh, almost 10, she's like, oh, when am I getting a phone? And I'm like, well, you can get a phone probably when you're 12, but it's going to be just a phone that can call me to come pick you up. Like that is all it will do. And I said, if you want a phone that does things like it can, you know, go on to these apps that maybe you've seen your friends on, because believe it or not, they are using it at this age, which is mind blowing to me. I mean, you just, you are not developmentally in a place where you can use something like that. Yeah, I so mean, arguably I'm not even. But you, so. you know, she was 10 years old and you talk about an age and you're like, yeah, really, you're going to get a phone when you need a phone. Do you need a phone when you're 10? Yeah, you don't. And <laughs> right. The only reason why I do that is because I'm like, well, we are in a day and age where she can't just go use a payphone anymore. So it's like, well, when you're at practices or that is when you will have said phone is when you need to get a hold of me. And otherwise you are definitely not taking a phone to school. Like what do you need to have a phone at school for? I will never understand. That's exactly my answer Um, to that question too. Is like, yes, you're going to get a phone when you spend time away from other adults and I need to reach you. I don't know what age that's going to be. It's different for every kid. Mm -hmm. Right. And I always used to be in the camp of, well, you know, I'm never, my kids are not using social media. And I'm like, okay, that's a little bit like, let's, okay, dial it back, Linz. Like, this is not ideal. Your kids are definitely going to have social media. And, you know, once they leave your house, or they're going to do it unknowingly, or they're going to use it on their friend's phone or whatever, they need to be able to use it appropriately and safely. So I know things always change, especially when you're in the heat of it. But our plan is, 
is to gradually introduce it probably when they're 15, 16 and say, okay, you know, it's time for you to be able to have, you know, whatever social media app you want, which, whichever one, let me know. And you use it only when you're with me you know, for like the first, I don't know, whatever, however long. And we kind of navigate it together. You have questions, you can ask me. We see things we don't want to see. I kind of explain how the algorithm works and how if you look at one thing, it'll give you more of that thing. And yeah, just kind of like real. And it takes, listen, it takes so much time and effort and energy to do what it takes, right? To like teach kids things like this. Like I get it. Like it's, it's so much easier to just give them a phone and peace out. Like I understand to another level, like I really do. But like with all the data that's coming out with teenagers using social media, especially females using social media, I mean, I just don't want to wait for anything else to come out before making, you know, decisions, especially with my own kids. Like I had a hard enough time myself in high school. I cannot even imagine having Instagram. <laughs> like Right. Like you compared yourself my worst to the people in your class. And now you can compare yourself to like a whole beauty industry, you know? <laughs> oh my God. Disaster. Absolutely. And you're oh. right. It's so complex now that nobody really even understands. There's an algorithm that is trying to get you to watch longer and teaching that kind of information to your kids is so important. But I like that you said you want to do it gradually. You're right. You have to introduce this gradually. Yeah. And it has to happen. It has to happen. We have to introduce our kids to things that they're going to be exposed to. I want my child to have the tools that they need if introduced into a situation like they might be with friends, right? Those friends might be looking at porn. I don't know what they're doing, but like my kid's going to know about it before they're in that situation. Like we try to go over all of those things early on so that when they're thrown into that situation, it's not coming from left field. And they're like, oh my gosh, like even though my kids are not going to have social media until later on, we still talk about those things. Like those will be things we talk about because they're going to be exposed to it, you know? Yeah. So you have to bring Um, up stories that you've heard at the dinner table and chat about these things and see what they think, listen to your child's responses, you know, and have Mm -hmm. the open conversation about it. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I do find you're right Um, that among a group of teenagers, I've noticed that the ones who have not really been on social media, they'll go to like a get together, a little party or something, and they'll, they'll come back and they'll tell me, Everyone at the party was just on their phone. It was so annoying. I know. Great. <laughs> I know. My my friend, her daughter, she's 12. She has a flip phone. Like she just got one for her birthday, like a flip phone that she, when she's at practice, she can like call her mom or whatever, but there's no social media or anything. And she was talking to her mom, like for the last like two years, she's been talking to her mom all the time about it. She's like, gosh, mom, like I'm, they do a carpool for soccer because she does like travel soccer. And she's like, mom, every time we're in the car, everybody's on their phone. It's so stupid. Yeah. To give that kind of perspective to your child is so healthy. Oh my God. So great. Cause it's like, it makes it just, it actually just reinforces what you want, right? Like it reinforces what you want from your own child. Like for them to be on the outside, viewing that is so important. And so it just helps reemphasize what you're saying to them. Like, you're not present. You're not building your friendship. You're not like talking about things and making that personal connection. I mean, humans need to have that deep personal connection with people 
it's a necessary thing. If we, I mean, we saw what happened when the pandemic hit and we weren't allowed to leave the house and have all these, you know, like connections with people, right? People start drinking, they start using drugs, they start like pulling towards things that are really unhealthy for them because we need to have human connection. And so, yeah, I mean, emphasizing that enough and then having them experience it when they're in a position where everybody's on their phone and being like, guys, like, what are you doing? Like, why are we not? We're all right here. Yeah. (laughs) No, we are right. Humans um, have a need to affiliate with someone. And when we don't have that, we seek other ways to, to like appease that need in our brains. And I do recommend, yeah, one of the expectations that you need to have of your kids is that they need to like spend time with other people in person. And that's an ex- that's a thing that's okay to expect from your 14-year-old. And the other thing that I recommend in that realm is volunteering. You got to make your kids volunteer somewhere and have that mm, connection, that I affiliation. That. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. Such yes. a good health behavior. It is. It is. Yeah, we actually made... For the holidays, we had made, my kids ask all the time, like, when are we doing this again? We made little kits um, for the homeless in the city nearby us. And we made kits, like we made like 50 of them, just with like socks and flashlights and all the things. And we just walked around and just chatted with anybody we could find. We chatted and we asked them if they wanted a kit. And and my kids, like to this day, like they mention it every year we do it. And every year, like in the summer, are we still doing this in the winter? Are we still yeah, doing it? It feels so good. And it teaches them empathy for other humans. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah, I mean, it's just so incredibly important. And I know it can be hard when they're that age to find things. Like I know there's like a meal, like a pantry near us that I know does allow younger kids to participate. But yeah, it can be hard. But definitely whenever they get to like age 10, 11, there's plenty of opportunities for volunteering. I mean, it could just be within your own town volunteering. Like I know one of the kids is volunteering at the library to help do projects with the younger kids. Like Stuff like that, like learning to teach younger kids and having the patience and and all of that is like so valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. All right. So I have like a couple random questions that people sent in if you don't mind. And then we'll wrap up. Absolutely. Okay. So, and this was, this is a really good one because I know like some of my kids kind of on and off struggled with this. So I'd love for you to touch base on it. So supplement recommendations for constipation, but kind of breaking it down by the age ranges. So like, for example, like you have an infant who's, you know, under 12 months, like, or actually I should say like right around that 12 month mark, kind of when you introduce cow's milk, like that kind of usually is an issue for some kids. And then kind of progressing towards like the toddler stage. And then even like kids who might have I know there's like some kids who might have issues like using the bathroom at school like how can you encourage them to use the bathroom at school instead of holding it and how to like emphasize like I guess you would call it like I don't know bathroom behaviors so that healthy bathroom behaviors so that they are able to use the bathroom at school and not hold it and then kind of create this cycle of constipation as they get older oh my gosh I don't even know where to start. Yes, I got it. <laughs> Okay, here's the thing. This is the most important thing. Having a soft poop and going to the bathroom is so important. So this is a really, really important question. And parents actually really need to pay attention in those early years to the consistency of their kid's poop. Like it matters. So in the infants, like little, little babies, there's a lot going on. But usually the supplement we recommend is like prunes. There's, oh, there's one other... 
What did I just hear about? Oh, anyway, I can't remember. There was one I had just heard about. Okay. So in infants, the best supplement we use is prunes or stewed prunes. And then that 12-month period, those little one-year-olds, just as they're transitioning to cow's milk and they're eating a lot more solids, it's usually, the dietary supplement is usually just going to be water and more, you know, of those veggies and fruits. And if they're really having a hard time, our go-to is Miralax, to be honest. Miralax is an over-the-counter product that it is a powder that dissolves in anything and the kids can't even taste it. But it doesn't get absorbed in your body and that's why we don't worry about about it. It actually sits in your intestines and pulls water in to make your poop softer. So really, really benign, great tool. And then around the toddler age, I mean, that is when it is critical for a baby or a child to never have a memory of having a hard poop because then they're not going to want to potty train. So there too, we'll often use Miralax. But I mean, the most important message here is that it matters and you should talk to your pediatrician about it and come up with a plan and like, Take action to make your kids poop soft. The other thing I say is if you eat every day, you need to poop every day. So if a kid is going days or even a full day without pooping, you actually do need to start paying attention to their pattern. And then, of course, everybody starts holding. I don't know of another animal in the universe that holds their poop except for humans. It's like the craziest thing, but it's super, super common. So, you know, the schools, yeah, nobody wants to use the bathroom at school. So you have to start instituting like a potty time at home to make sure they're going. Humans have to poop 20 to 30 minutes after eating a meal. It's just a reflex that we don't have control over. So a good strategy is to just have your kid go sit on the potty after dinner or after breakfast if you have time and give them the opportunity to poop. I mean, even teenagers have this problem. They will not poop at school and they're all constipated and they all say they have tummy aches. So I have an entire podcast episode on this that came out last week. I go like on and on about it. And then I have this bonus episode you can look for where I talk about the three most important steps to having a soft, healthy poop for every age. <laughs> I mean, it is important. It's it, and it's most important. I feel postpartum, truly, I will stand on that hill yeah. until I die. Nobody I, tells you I that when you're like, pregnant, you're going to be constipated. No one talks about that. I mean, what is with it's that? It's progesterone. I mean, literally nobody. Nobody talks about I'm it. I'm like, guys... Yeah. Why didn't anybody tell me about pooping after I had a baby? Like, please, yes. like this is the absolute worst, mm-hmm. like worse than all the rest of the stuff, like worse than giving birth. Like, why are we here? And it's not that <laughs> hard to treat. Like there are a lot of options. So many options. Mm-hmm. Oh, just take your colase postpartum. I remember like, I think it was with the second, I was like, ah, I don't need that. And you know, you have a million things going on. You're sleep deprived. You have another kid. Like it's terrible. And I just ditched it worst, absolute, one of the top five worst decisions of my life. I will tell you, like, absolutely just take the cold. <laughs> take the cold. Oh my God. And walk and move around <laughs> if you can. Yeah. Yeah. And just tons of water. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody, everybody, if we were to like take 20 people, just pick 20 random people right now and put them in a room, mm-hmm. I guarantee the majority of them are dehydrated. Oh, like, for Nobody sure. realizes how much water they need to drink every day. That's right. And I certainly reason. don't. I try. Yeah, it's that's hard. been my most recent recommendation is that when teens come into my office and they're complaining about chronic stomach pains, I'm like, okay, here, I will see you in two weeks. But for now, I want you to drink 75 milliliters of water every day and then come back and see me and we'll see how your tummy aches are. It's a miracle cure. Have you ever heard of the Huberman Lab podcast? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So did you listen to the one on hydration, water intake? No, I didn't. 
Oh my gosh, it's so good. He like goes into scientific depth on on like how much you need per day based upon your body weight, like when to drink it, when to start in the morning, when to stop during the day so that you're not peeing all night, like just so much detail. And after I listened to that podcast for like three weeks, I was so good, so good. And then, you know, <laughs> fell off the like wagon. here we are, but yeah. whatever. You have to make it into a habit. Absolutely. That is something interesting that I learned recently is that for bedwetters, like kids who wet the bed, you need to give them water early in the morning when they first wake up because it helps to flush out anything that their kidneys need to get rid of so that they may actually pee less at night. So you got to water load them early in the day. I really liked that. And it's funny because people ask me all the time too, like, oh, do I need to drink water for my skin health? I'm like, well, it doesn't actually help your skin, but it helps everything else. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Now that you mentioned that, this is going to be my last question bedwetting only at night. Now, from what I understand, this is something that cannot be taught, like for example, using the bathroom in general during the day. This is something that just comes with age and each child will develop differently. And I I mean, I can tell you all four of my kids have done this differently. We have one child that's still, we just ripped the Band-Aid off and just took away the pull-up at night, uh, almost six. And we're like, because with our oldest, she did that, but we just took it away. And then she had accidents for like a week and then it went away completely. But with him, it's definitely different and it happens much more often. Is it something that I'm going to try what you just said? Yeah, that's one of the tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, is there what else? What other tool? I'm sure there's somebody else listening that's probably having the same issue. So, what what else can I do? Well, it's so funny that you ask because the constipation episode of my podcast that I just mentioned, I talk a ton about this. So it's like I've got all the answers there. But what we find is that after about age five, if you are still wetting at night, oftentimes it is because you have a hyperactive bladder, and you you have this reflex that when your bladder fills up, it stretches and your bladder just automatically empties. It doesn't send a signal to your brain like, hey, wake up, you need to go to the bathroom. But what we find is that the kids that are over age five or six, they often do have a little bit of stool holding that's irritating their bladder when they're asleep. So your first step for your kid who's wetting the bed after age five and five and a half, six, is to make sure that they are pooping a ton every day. So that 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 they're not having their bowel sit on their bladder and irritated at night and making them release their urine. So that's the first thing. And then the water thing I just talked about. But yeah, some kids, some kids wet the bed really late, but usually it's it's a bowel bladder dysfunction during the day that's causing that nighttime bedwetting. Yeah. In this case, I think it's just the fact that he like drinks an insane mm. amount of milk before bed. I'm like, can we not? <laughs> yeah. So make him but, drink a ton yeah. earlier in the day so he's not like super thirsty at night. Yeah. Yeah. He just like, lo- yeah, loves it with, with dinner. And I'm like, okay, but I don't like doing laundry every morning. <laughs> okay. So let me end with two questions. Wait, first, before I do that, is there anything you wanted to add in to the conversation we already had? Like, is nope. there anything mm-hmm. that you feel like we should mention? No, because I could okay. go on for an hour and a half. <laughs> I know. I got to end somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So first question is, if you could give one piece of advice to moms, what would it be? We have to stop the shame and the guilt about everything. We are not in charge of everything. It is not 100% our responsibility to keep our 
entire family happy and healthy. We need to be like the roadside bumpers that keeps everybody in the correct lane and let them try, let them fail while they're still living in your house with little things like, you know, let them cut the salad wrong or set the table wrong, you know, and let them try everything. That's my biggest piece of advice. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. And then the second one is if you could make one meal for your family that everyone would eat, that's relatively quick and easy. What would it be? This is so hard because we actually eat a plant-based diet. So this won't apply to everybody. But my favorite thing to do is I love pasta and I love like kind of a mac and cheese type situation. So I blend a can of chickpeas with some cooked carrots and I add like nutritional yeast and it makes this yummy sauce and everybody thinks it's mac and cheese, but it's actually like the healthiest sauce ever. Oh. And then you throw some broccoli or something in there. Yeah. And it's good. You swear it's it's good. It's so good. It's magic. Can you good. send you gotta send that to me? Even if it's just like you writing out like whatever, like just like a quick blur. Oh, I got you, girl. I've got the recipe. Because, and of course it's all yeah, like crinkled and has stains all over it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. That's that those are the, always the best. I love that. I also wanted to briefly mention I think it's really cool that you not you play the drums, first of all, I right? Do, yeah, I practice every day. And you fly airplanes. I do. <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm reading your, I'm reading the bio and I'm like, oh my, this is, this is so badass. Yeah, I love it. I got it's my so pilot's cool. license before I had kids. And it was so great because once I had my pilot's license, I could travel with my little baby daughter. And instead of having this pull over to the side of the road every two and a half hours to breastfeed her, I would literally pull her in the front seat and feed her while I was the pilot and then put her back in her car seat and we would keep going. So I could get places way faster. Yeah. Oh my gosh, story. that is hysterical. Yeah, I had to stop lessons at one point because my belly was so big I couldn't get squeeze in between the seat and the door to get in the cockpit. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That is so crazy though. I love that. I love just hearing like, I don't know. We I get mean, one life, a- right? You gotta do this stuff. Right, that, now. No, it's so true. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to keep those avenues for yourself open, right? Because yeah. you need to have this life outside your kids, right? Playing and the drums anyways, has been really interesting because my kids both play music too. And when they see me practice every day, they are inspired to practice every day too. So I don't have to tell them to practice. They're just like, well, mom practiced. Yeah. I guess I have to practice. Yeah. And I, you know what? I, I still need to, it's on my list of like podcast topics, mm-hmm. but I want to get a guest on to talk about how important music is with kids like yeah. throughout their childhood and what it can do for intelligence because there's some great data on that. I know. Too. I'd love to and, hear that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So good. Anyways, thank you. Thank you for taking the time, Dr. Hunter. This was awesome. I appreciate getting to share all of this information with you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.